thing, I'll get it at the end. Uh, this morning, we're, uh, we're wrapping up our Jesus Stories sermon series, um, where we've been looking at, we've looked at now will be 10 different parables, uh, stories that Jesus told. Uh, this one is a short parable buried in kind of a larger story uh, here in Luke chapter 7. Um, so we're going to take a look at the parable, and then I want to give you some context to what Jesus is talking about here. Um, and this worked out well. We're going to talk about gratitude and thankfulness this morning. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of start with this question. I don't want you to answer it, because the last time I asked for volunteers, somebody said cow manure. That's one of the answers, so I don't trust y'all anymore. Just thinking your head. What are you, what are you thankful for? And uh, the title of the sermon today is going to be The Source of Gratitude. Where, uh, you know, we all go through seasons in our life where we're really, uh, we're not as thankful as we should be. Honestly, sometimes we become bitter about certain things. Sometimes we get into a stage of life when we look around and we say, are the, what, do I have things to be thankful for? And the, we get in that time. So in those moments, where can we find a source of gratitude? And this story talks about a girl who is probably the greatest example of gratitude in all of the New Testament. Uh, and it's a beautiful story and it's parables right in the middle of something that's happening here. But these are, these are some of the answers that you, maybe you thought of that typically come to mind. Your health, your home, your family, friends, food, uh, a job, all these things we, we kind of tend to say, I'm thankful. These are the blessings that are around me. But then we, you kind of have to start to, to ask yourself, well, there are some people who are estranged from family and don't have a lot of family. There's some people that really struggle to make friends and don't have any close friends. There's some people who are homeless who don't have a place to live or their home is in disrepair. Some people whose health is failing. Some people wondering how are we going to eat this week? How are we going to feed our kids this week? So, so while it makes sense to be thankful for those things, if we have them, they can't be the only source of our gratitude. Does that make sense? They can't be the only source. So what is the source of our gratitude. Let's read this, uh, the parable, and then I want to share the story. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the story of what's happening. But here, here's the parable. And Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both now, which of them will love him more? This is Jesus telling the story. Simon replied, this is not Simon Peter. This is Simon, a Pharisee that he, Jesus is having dinner with at his house right in, in the middle of this story. So this Simon, the Pharisee, replied, said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. That's the parable. That's the story he told. You got two people. Uh, they, they owe the bank money. One owes 500, the other 50. They don't have the money to pay it. The bank forgives the debts. Jesus said, well, who, who's going to love the bank more? Who's going to appreciate this more? And uh, the guy said, well, the one who owed more. And Jesus said, you've judged right. 
So this story, the context that he's telling us, I want you to understand, if, we, if you have your Bibles with you, you can kind of follow along here in Luke chapter 7. If you go back to verse 36, this is where we're introduced to the most grateful lady, uh, most grateful person maybe in the New Testament. In verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus is at the table at dinner, again with the Pharisees. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is not perfume like we would think. This is expensive stuff that she's pouring on Jesus' feet. And it says in verse 39, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if this Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. That's when Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon says, tell me, teacher. And in verse 41 starts the parable, two people. You realize that Simon is one of these people and the woman is one of these people is how Jesus is telling this story to teach him. And he goes through the parable in verse 44. It says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little Loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Here we find the source of our gratitude. We find the source of her gratitude in this story. Uh, I think it's interesting, one thing I want to point out in those verses, when the Pharisee starts to reason, it says he's beginning to kind of talk to himself. When he sees Jesus letting this, this uh, you know, many people just call her a harlot. They, they just suggest that she was a prostitute, very well could have been. All that we know is that when this man saw her, he knew she was no good. And that's what she thought. You're letting this no good girl from the streets Kiss your feet. And he was reasoning to himself. He's kind of talking under his breath. And I thought, man, when he's done that, how many times have I talked under my breath if I thought a thought that I thought God wasn't listening to or wasn't hearing? And it just hit me all of a sudden. I was like, oh, my God, here's everything I think, everything I say, all the, all the little things. You know, when you're a kid and you got kids and, and, and you're, you're trying to discipline them and you hear them mumble something. And you say, what was that? And what's the immediate answer to that? Nothing. Jesus never misses it. 
He didn't miss here. All the things you've said, all the little thoughts you've had that, that, that you're trying to reason within yourself, all the doubts, all the fears you kind of placed on who Jesus was, he's heard it all. He's not surprised by it. You've not hid anything from him. He's right there. And, yet he, and you'll notice, I think, if you'll pay attention, when you hear things like that, you'll hear Jesus saying, hey, hey Simon, let me tell you something. And he'll begin to work around you in your life and start to speak to the very doubt, the very fear, the very, the very wonder, the, the, the very anxiety, the very thing that you had. He speaks directly to it. And that's what he does with this guy here, with Simon. He says, all right, Simon, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little story. And he begins to tell a story that Simon very quickly realizes he's a part of. I love it when Jesus does this. I'm not going to say something directly to you, Simon, but you're going to get what I'm saying here. And so I want to look at these, uh, th- these, these two groups of people. You think every sermon I do, if you've been here two Sundays, you're like, well, okay, every Sunday he picks, he says we're going to be one of two groups of people because uh, we're going to do it again today. But he has two people here. Simon, this is someone who uh, appears to be good, you know, and we all know these people. Some of us are these people. Uh, we've lived our whole life. We've never done anything really crazy. We've never, you know, openly... Uh, been in some kind of, uh, held some kind of wild lifestyle that everybody looked at us and said, that person is off the rocker. That person is wild, right? Most of us have been halfway, uh, you know, religious people, church-going people. You know, we, we got married. We, we uh, you know, we do all the good things. We go to church. We give. We, we, we do all, we like, we check all the boxes. And that's what Simon was. Simon was the guy who checked all the boxes and felt like, I've never done anything really bad. I've never lied. That's a lie if you say you never lied. Uh, I don't cheat. I never steal. I've not killed anybody. You know, I, the Ten Commandments, I'm pretty good. I got it. I got the Ten Commandments down pretty good. Um, and that's Simon. And then you got the other group of people that some of us fall into, that people look at you and they know your history. They know your reputation. They know where you've been. They know what you've done. They, they know the wreck you've made of your life. They know the bad decisions you've made. You've lived it in the open for so many people. And you can just immediately kind of see there's two different sets of people here. Those who check the boxes and try to do good and be good and for the most part have. And then those who have just thrown the sheet away and not cared about the boxes. Right? And these are the two people that Jesus is looking at here. Before I get into the, the two things I want to look at, these two groups of people, um, this gratitude that's coming out of this woman, I want you to think back to the first list I had of the things we talked about. When she was weeping and brokenhearted because she was so thankful she didn't, that, that what she was pouring on, her, on, on his feet was probably her last material possession in the world. It was probably the most expensive thing she had. Her gratitude was not rooted in, in material things and physical things and what she had and what she didn't. Her, her gratitude was rooted in Jesus. That this man, that when she heard he was coming, she had to get to him. And, and she was going to dedicate everything she had to him. That was the source of her gratitude. Two things I'm going to look at these, uh, these two groups of people, um, both of them. And as you look at the parable, I still got it up there. Uh, they're both in debt. 
both in debt. They both owe something. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the metaphor of comparing. You know, uh, if you look at the Lord's Prayer when Jesus talks, you know, he says, and forgive, us, uh, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And he makes that metaphor that says our sin to God is a debt that we owe. I want to spend more time in this story and seeing that both of these two are in debt. One deeper than the other. But at the end of the day, they're both debt. They're indebted to God. The banker is God. When we come into this world and we live uh, our life, we may think we're checking all the boxes. Um, But we find that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So while they're both in debt, Jesus in this story draws a distinction. says, one's got a lot more. Man, one has racked up the sins. If we had a centimeter, this thing would be up there. <laughs> right? And we got one that's, you know, just, just down here. And you're thinking, I'm checking all the boxes. And, but, but when you do that, you begin to think. And, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here, here, here's what happens. When you're that person... Uh, when you're that person that's just got you know, a few little things and maybe even wonder, have I really even done anything that bad that I would have to go to hell and would miss heaven? It's just, you know, it's, it's here. Maybe I don't know if I've sinned really at all. I've been a pretty good, pretty good guy. We've got to remember that God looks, uh, he's got a high standard. And he looks not just at what you do, but at your heart. He looks at the motives for what you do. Sometimes going and doing the good thing and the right thing, you can do it for absolutely the wrong reasons. You can give for the wrong reasons. You can go to church for the wrong reasons. You can keep everything hid that's bad in your life and try to look good to build up your own self-righteousness to make yourself feel good and make everybody think you're good. And in your heart, you're hiding your tendency to gossip. You forgot that you walked out in the parking lot this morning and saw somebody else's new car and wished it was yours. You forgot your tendency to be jealous of people. You've forgotten the things in your heart that are not pure. And even though it's this much, it's still a debt. God says, you want to get in by the law, keep it perfectly. Keep it to the T. Keep it perfectly. Jesus is telling Simon, yeah, you are a great deal. You're better off than her. You've, you've done a lot better. On the surface, you appear to be so much better. You, you've got this title of Pharisee, and uh, you, you've done your best to... to, to to check all the boxes and follow all the rules, and this person is not, and everybody knows that she's not, and on the surface, you look better than her, and you, you begin to see the judgmental attitude that comes from Simon when he sees this girl who's got a terrible history. He immediately discounts her. He immediately thinks that's not the type of person that Christ should be dealing with. He thinks that's not the type of person that should be coming to Christ. 
And Jesus begins to tell him uh, this, this story, this parable. So the first point is they're both in debt. They both stand in the same position to the banker. Okay, they're both in debt. They both owe something. Some more, one more, one a little less. Second thing is, they're both in default. They're both in insolvency. They're both, let me put it in my terms, they're flat broke. <laughs> They're both at a point with the bank where the bank's looking and saying, I know you owe 50, you owe 500. Neither one of you have a cent to your name. Neither one of you can make even a payment on this. And, and, and I'm standing in a spot to call the note at any time. And not only are they both in debt and they've both fallen short of the expectation, but they both have no ability to pay the bill. Are y'all seeing the correlation here? Here's the thing. When you got this small debt, when you think, I've just done a few little bad things, what do you do? You know, you look at your big debt. You look at your house. Maybe you got a mortgage. You look at it and you think, will I ever pay that off? <laughs> will it ever get paid for? That's just a payment I'm going to make the rest of my life. 30 years, 15 years, if you're... You're wise and good with money 10 years maybe. Probably most of us 30 years in this room. But then you get this little debt and you just keep looking at it. Maybe it's $1,000 on a credit card and you're thinking, I'll get to that. I'll dig myself out of that. I'm not that bad off. All I got is this little debt. And so, so when, when, there's actually more risk in, in trying to be a good person on your own than there is for the person who's just lived in blatant sin. Because you begin to think, I'm not really that bad. I've not really done that much. I can dig myself out of this. Actually, I don't really need Jesus. I just need to try a little harder. I'm just going to try a little harder. I got like one bad thing I do. I'll probably fix that and then I'll, I'll be okay. Uh, and, and, but there's no amount of try harder, no amount of regret. When I was in seventh grade, my teacher got so excited, she announced one day, she said, Jared is turning over a new leaf. <laughs> you ever heard that? I saw my fifth grade teacher this weekend. She said, I remember where you sat. I said, oh, that's all you remember. <laughs> I wasn't that bad of a kid, but I was a loud kid. I talked a lot and kind of was disruptive, much like I am now. Um, there's no turning over a new leaf and saying today I'm just going to be better because I'm going to try harder. Sleepless nights of worry, anxiety, fear they can't pay your debt, the brokenness, the disconnect you feel from God, your creator. There's nothing you can do that will ever be enough. Colossians, Paul wrote this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. You see, he came. 
the man who knew no sin, the man who had never had a debt, became sin. The man who was righteous, God himself came in flesh as Jesus, and, and he became the sacrifice, the living, the perfect lamb of God, the one who never did anything wrong, who never in his heart was jealous of his neighbor's mule or donkey. He lived it perfect. Came to the end where he should have got the reward for passing the test, for checking all the boxes. And instead, he got our punishment. Instead, he got the cross that we deserved. And when he got that cross, when we have faith in him, God wipes our debt clean. Now, he's telling here, here's the difference. You're both in debt, you're both in default. But this girl, she gets how far away from God she was. She knows how hopeless she was because she could see it. It was so obvious in her life, the way that she was sinned. So why is she, why is she weeping? Why is she at his feet? Why is she behind him trying to get to him while this Pharisee's sitting upright at his table acting like he's somebody? And they both have no hope of heaven without the same man that's sitting there. Why do we think, why do we set ourselves above or below someone just because of the good that they do when we are both in debt and we're both flat broke? John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, that anybody, whosoever, might be saved through him. It doesn't get real clear here in this story, but it's pretty obvious. This banker somehow knew the people were broke. These two. And I imagine just like he paints the story of how we come to Christ, that we've got to get to a brokenness point in our life where we realize we're flat broke. And that we go to God just like they probably went to the bank and said, I'm in this spot. I'm in a spot here. I can't sleep at night. I tried to do better yesterday and I did worse. My marriage is falling apart. My family is falling apart. I, I, I'm losing respect of people at work. My, my, my job's not going right. Like I'm in this storm and I don't understand why all this stuff is around me. And it just feels like total chaos and I feel alone and lost in all of it. And they went to the bank and they said that. This is, I'm, I'm broke. God says we have to come to him with a repentant heart. You got to come to him in that broken spot saying, God, I realize I've sinned against you. I've let you down. I need you. I want you in my heart. 
Not only do, 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 I, do I love you and I have faith in you, but I'm turning my life towards you. I've changed my mind about who you are. That's repentance. That is, I used to think I had to do better. Now I realize, God, you just love me. You just got grace and mercy just overflowing, coming out of heaven. For anybody who just steps up in faith to say, I trust you. I believe in you. Then he promises he'll come and live inside of us and begin to change your life from the inside. And you'll grow in your holiness. Let's be like the old song that said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. See, your level of gratitude will correspond to your level of recognition of your spiritual insolvency. That's a long point. Nobody ever forgot it before I finished it. Your level of gratitude will correspond to how broken you realize you really are. How much you understand that you're flat broke spiritually without the help of Christ. And you'll find that just like this girl, you'll find what happens when you find that source of gratitude, when you realize how thankful you are for his mercy and for his grace, you find she wept. It was an emotional, it was in her heart. She knew that she had been saved and she had found the one and nothing else mattered. We find she sacrificed. She was willing to give everything she had in service to him, we find that Jesus taught that she loved and that she would love in proportion to the amount that she had been forgiven. In the end, verse 50, when he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, the thing you're looking for, the thing you can't seem to find in any other part of your life, peace, He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See what happens when you understand, when we understand our source of gratitude brings everything else into perspective. Once you've given your heart to Christ, all these other things that feel like the things we should be thankful for, and if I don't have them, I can't be thankful, then we have this promise from the Bible. It says, for God works all things to the good. We can remember Paul's words that he said, I've learned to be content, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, whether you put that slide up and you see it and you say, yeah, I don't have any of those things, I can tell you this morning, you can have something to be thankful for. Christ died for you. He loves you. He's got, there's hope for you. There's hope in life. There's hope in heaven. doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Christ died for you, and that's the source of our gratitude. Anything else will get us sidetracked. If we hinge it on anything else, it's just, uh, it'll fade away. It's no promise. But Christ, in Christ, we can find our source of gratitude.
We're going to stand and sing a song here as we close.